Please be seated. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you're a God who loves everyone. A God who does not show favoritism. And so often in our lives, we show favoritism. We pray this day that you help us understand what it means to be people who live our lives more in your image. People who live our lives more in love, not just for some people, but for all people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today the topic is focusing on one word, and the word is, is favoritism. And favoritism has been a challenge in our human existence from the very beginning of, of time. Even with um, Adam and Eve, they had two sons, Cain and Abel. They both offered sacrifices, and God accepted um, Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's because Cain's heart was not in the right place. And so Cain became jealous of this. He may have felt that God was showing favoritism, but he wasn't. The problem was not God. The problem was Cain and his heart. In a jealous fit of rage, what did Cain do? He killed his brother Abel. So we see a terrible thing that can happen when, when favoritism gets into the hearts of, of people. You see plenty of examples in the Bible about the same type of thing. For example, Jacob, who became Israel, had his 12 sons. And he had four different wives, which was never God's plan for things, but he had four wives. He favored one wife over the, all the others. Who was that? Rachel. And she died while giving birth to their second, her second son, uh, Benjamin. And so Jacob favored Joseph and Benjamin over the other brothers. And what did this lead to? Ultimately, they were going to kill Joseph, but they sold him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, and God takes a very difficult situation, makes it work out in the end, but a pretty awkward situation. We see this time and time again in the Bible. We see it in history. There was a song that came out many years ago by John Lennon called Imagine. It's a beautiful song, but if you listen to the words, they're really not, I don't like the words, to be honest with you, because it talks about imagine there is no heaven. Imagine there's no God. Saying the world would be a better place if there were, was not, no religion at all. But yet, you know, I, I wrote a book a while ago um, called What If You're Wrong. Did a study on what um, happened under the leadership of atheist leaders. And in the last century, more than 60 million people were murdered by atheist leaders. For example, Hitler was probably one of the worst. Lenin, Stalin. Many others. And they basically had a Darwinian type of attitude that there's certain races of people that are inferior to all the rest. Let's try to annihilate those groups of people. And millions and millions of people were murdered. You know, even what happened in Rwanda a while back, how the Hutu tribe tried to wipe out the Tutsi tribe. Over 600,000 people murdered. This is never God's plan. This is what sin, this is what the human condition can so often cause. You know, for me as a pastor, I see you know, favoritism sometimes in the lives of the people around me. And sometimes even in my own life. You know, one of the ter- most terrible things I see sometimes is, is um, 
division in families as far as favoritism, as far as even, for example, um, the parents pass away and they leave a will for their children, and that will is not an equal will. Some family members get more than others as far as the siblings. And it turns into sibling rivalry where the siblings never talk again. Favoritism. In our Bible text for today, favoritism is a problem with Peter. You know, Peter is an amazing leader in the church. You know, we're going through Acts and we're seeing his involvement, we're seeing his growth, and you can look in the Gospels and you, you see that there's a 12 disciples, and usually the first name of the disciples that's listed is which one? Peter. Does that mean that Peter's Jesus' favorite? No. Peter's always in the middle of the fray. He's just, if he was in this room right now, he'd probably push me off the altar here and take over preaching. He's the kind of guy, just, he's always in the limelight, so to speak. Just really involved. If he was in a room, he'd fill that room up with his personality. He became a leader of the disciples. We see one minute in the Bible he's doing something great. The next minute he might be doing something stupid. One minute he's saying, you know, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And just less than a chapter later, Jesus is saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Kind of a roller coaster ride. He denies Jesus three times, and Jesus restores him. And then just 50 days later, Peter's preaching at Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit hits him, and 3,000 people come to faith in one day. Talk about church growth. And then a church begins to grow in leaps and bounds, and and Peter's a leader of the church in Jerusalem. It grows over 20,000 people. And we see very early in Acts 1-8, when Jesus says to the disciples, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He tells these loving guys at the time, later 12 with the addition of Matthias, you're going to change the world. Not just the Jewish world. What world? The entire world. What is Peter's problem? He shows favoritism. What's his background? He's Jewish background. He believes in the Jewish customs, traditions. He looked down upon the Samaritans, looked down upon the Gentiles. But as a church gets persecuted, you know, people go out to different parts of the, the, the then-known world, and one person, Philip, goes to Samaria. And there he's preaching, and people come to faith, and Peter hears about this. He can't believe it. So he and John go to Samaria, and they see the Samaritans are coming to faith. I'm sure he's probably dumbfounded, but he realizes, okay, I guess God likes these Samaritan people. But for him, at least the Samaritans in his mind are part what? They're part Jewish. The group he still can't stand is the Gentiles. This is going to be a problem for the leader of the church if he has favoritism and does not like the largest segment of the population in the world. And so God decides to work on Peter. And God, in the same way, has ways of working on our lives. And so what God does, he gives a vision to a guy named Cornelius, who is a centurion. He's a a Gentile, and a very righteous one. It says he prayed daily. Um, He was very generous, and and God shows him, not randomly, he knew Cornelius was ready for this task. And so Cornelius has a dream, a vision. It says, um, send some people to Joppa and bring Peter, who's staying at a certain place, bring him to your house. And see what's going to happen. And so Cornelius, being obedient to God, he takes three of his um, servants and he sends them to Joppa, a ways away. And they start their journey. Now, God has a way of timing things because 
you know, it could have been about a day and a half, a two-day journey. And, um, and so a little bit of time goes by, and then all of a sudden, Peter has a dream, a vision. In his vision, this sheet comes down, and he sees all these different types of animals that he thinks are unclean. According to the Jewish tradition, you shouldn't touch them, you shouldn't eat them. But yet, in the vision, God makes it clear to him, Peter, it's okay to eat these things. And Peter says, no, it's not, I can't eat this stuff. Three times he has this vision. Okay, three times. God's making a true point. And at the end of the vision, the Lord reveals to Peter, some people are coming to get you, go along with them. And so just then, they, these three guys show up, just when these, the third vision's done, and, and Peter realizes, okay, God's trying to do something here. And the guys who come to the door, guess what kind of people they are? They're Gentiles. Peter lets them in his house. That's unheard of for a Jewish person like Gentiles in his house. He lets them in, and, and he talks with them, and they explain he's supposed to go to the house of Cornelius um, in Caesarea. And so the next day, they begin their journey. They go to Caesarea, to the house of Cornelius, and right away, Cornelius bows down to Peter, and Peter says, don't, don't bow down. And Peter goes into his house. This is huge, because Jewish people are not supposed to go into the house of which group of people? Gentiles. But he knows God's working on him. And he goes into the house, and, and he finally says, Cornelius, why am I here? And he, Cornelius shares with him the vision, and Peter thinks about his vision. He thinks, okay, God is doing something here. God is definitely doing something. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's working in his heart, in his mind, and he's beginning to change right in front of these people. And there's a group there of Gentiles. There's some that are, are Jewish believers. And Peter finally comes up and says, you know what? I now realize that God does not show what? Favoritism. God doesn't show favoritism. He loves everybody, no matter who they are, no matter what their background no matter what their race, no matter what their economic or social class, God loves everybody the same. Jew, Gentile, Samaritan. And then Peter does his thing. Because even the vision, God said to Cornelius, listen to what Peter has to say. And Peter shares his sermon. He's been preaching every chapter and almost acts so far. He's preaching over and over again. And every sermon has the same outline. You know what the outline of, of Peter's sermon is every time? Jesus Lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus ascended, is with us. And right in front of him, these, these Gentiles, they come to faith. The Holy Spirit comes on them, they come to faith, and, and Peter sees them come to faith, and he's amazed. And then what he decides to do at that point is, you know, let's, let's baptize them. And they're baptized them, and there's this great celebration as, you know, more people come to faith in, in Jesus Christ. And Peter has learned his lesson. God does not show what? Favoritism. Okay, I want to jump forward 2,000 years to this day and age here. And we look around this world, and there's never been a time in history when there's been so many differences between generations. Okay? You know why that is? Technology. Technology is changing everything. And so for those born, for example, before 1946, the Biller generation, there's a huge difference in viewpoints compared to those that maybe um, were born after the year, you know, 1990, for example. Huge differences. This is some trends I see. For those born, you know, from 1940s, the the Builder generation, um, probably two-thirds of them are Christian. 
We all went to Sunday school, even for my generation, the boomers. Most of us went to Sunday school, had good background and, and learned the Bible from the early age, even though only one-third of my generation is, is involved in church regularly. And what I see is, is that they understand sin. They understand sin, but the challenge sometimes is, is um, you're supposed to hate the sin and love what? The sinner. Sometimes I see, at times in older generation, times there's been pre- more prejudice. Sometimes more, you may have a judgmental attitude. I'm not, that's a generalization, okay? I'm not saying it's you, but quite often the generalization. Whereas you go to the youngest generations, they don't have any Bible training for the most part. A lot of them don't have any. Don't know the Ten Commandments. They um, don't even hardly know what sin is. And so they don't hate sin because they don't even know what it is for the most part. And they're very open-minded to all different kinds of people. Those are the two extremes that exist in our society right now. Where's the balance? It's in the middle. We're supposed to hate sin, love the, who? Sinner. Which sinners? All sinners. No matter who they are. I know we're living in crazy times. Things are changing so fast. And the only way we're going to be successful in proclaiming the love of Christ is is we need to love. People aren't so much concerned about what you know. They want to know how much you care, how much you love. You look in the Bible. What is God like when it comes to this topic of favoritism? He's about love. You know, Jesus summarized all the laws of God. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Right? And he gives us the Ten Commandments to kind of show us what, what this means. That love is putting God first in your life. Love is not misusing the name of God, but lifting up his name and living a righteous life for him. Love is honoring the Sabbath day and keeping it holy by worshiping regularly. Love is honoring your parents. Love is respecting the lives of all people. Love is using sexuality in the way that God intended it. Love is respecting the property of others. Love is not speaking poorly of others and putting people down. Love is being content with what God has given to you. So often we look at the what not to do, right? But if we could do those things, what is that? That's love. And that's how God wants us to live. And when you live that way, your life makes a lot more sense. And there is no favoritism. When sin enters, when you break away from these commandments, that's called sin. That's living outside the bounds of love. That's when the favoritism starts slipping in. And we've all broken the commandments time and time again. More so in the way we think. I mean, there's thought, there's, there's our, our actions, our words. Most of our sinning is done in our thoughts. We do a lot of bad things, don't get me wrong. But our thinking so often is so messed up. And one thing I want us to think about here today is that God wants our lives to be molded be shaped, to be people who become more in the image of Jesus. Because Jesus lived the laws perfectly. He never broke one of the Ten Commandments. He lived in complete and perfect love to the Father, complete and perfect love towards us, and in the end, he gave his perfect life on a cross to pay the penalty for all the times that we've messed up. God so loved the what? World. Who's the world? Every body, every single human being. You see, God doesn't have favorites. In fact, he does, actually. Every one of us is his favorite. Okay, every one of us is his favorite. And the question I have for us today is this. How are we doing 
when it comes to favoritism. How are we doing? Do we love everybody? When you go through the day as you see different people around you, can you honestly say in your heart, I love everybody I saw today? Or do we sometimes think, I don't like certain groups of people. I don't like when people act a certain way. I, I not only hate the way they act, I hate them too. Ever happen? That's not how God wants us to be. Yeah, again, hate the sin, love the, the sinner. You know, in my own personal life, there's been times when I wonder, does God show favoritism? Ever wondered before? Why is it that some people have these charmed lives? And some people, they can be super good, great people, all kinds of bad things happen to them. Is that favoritism? There's times maybe you might have wondered that. I mean, I've actually wondered that. There's been times in my life where a lot of bad things were happening to me. I'm saying, God, I'm, I'm trying to serve you here, and, and all these bad things are happening to me. What's going on? But I've come to realize over time that every one of us has a journey. Okay, sometimes that journey may be difficult. Sometimes it may go pretty smooth. But I can be honest with you about this. In the valleys of my life, I've experienced the love of God in deeper ways than any other time. Can anybody relate to that? You know, the last um, year and a half of my life, I can honestly say I had some really dark moments, some very low times, some deep valleys. And I can honestly say I've never encountered the love of God in stronger ways than I have over these last couple of years. Feeling that love. You know, look in the Bible, and, you know, John, you know, the leader in the church, he he always refers to himself in the book of John. As, he never says his name. How does he refer to himself? The one who Jesus loved. Because John is living his life thinking, I'm the favorite. Okay? He's convinced. He is Jesus' favorite. I want us all to think that. Every one of us is his favorite. And we all have our own journey. Maybe your journey's been tough lately. Maybe there's times you're wondering, God, what's going on here? But I know that God has a special plan for each one of us. And one thing I felt stronger than I ever have in my life for the last couple of years, too, is not just the love he has for me, but the love he has for you. And it's a love that I know that he wants us to take more out into this world because this world needs it so desperately. That rather than getting bitter and upset by the direction our society, our world is going, we have one Commandment, go out and what? Love. Love. Every person you see, no matter who they are, to train our minds, our lives, our hearts, you know, and and the more that we grow in our relationship with God, the the love is just going to flow out more and more. And if we want to see our church expand and grow, and if we want to truly be the disciples that Jesus wants us to be, the key for each and every one of us is to be growing in what? Love. Love. That's our calling. It's very simple. It's not easy. But Jesus wants to help us. And I know that there's things going on in your life that are not coincidental. Okay? Just like for Peter. (laughs) He works through Cornelius. He works in visions. He works in different ways. He is at work in our lives to mold us and shape us to be more in the image of Christ. Because even our whole purpose here, leading people to follow who? Jesus. This is um, Memorial Day weekend, and 
not just this weekend, but always. We need to think about the sacrifice that those who serve our country and our serving have made for us. And they go out and they defend our country and they've done all kinds of amazing things to help us be this amazing country. And who are they doing it for? Are they showing favoritism? Okay, I'm only going to do it for a certain cross-section of my country. Who are they doing it for? Every one of us. So we got freedom. Wherever there's freedom, wherever there's freedom, there's great sacrifice. Jesus went to a cross to die. Why? Just for some people? God so loved the what? Every single person. You know, I just, I know that as we leave here today, I know that God in his word wants us to be shaped. He doesn't want us to go forth today and say, ah, put my hour in church this week. He wants our lives to be transformed. We have been touched with his love. His love is just pouring down right now. Take it in. Let it fill you. Grow in that love. Let's not show favoritism. If you go to a restaurant, no matter what you do today, if you're going to go to the store, um, if you see your neighbor, let's try to approach people more. How? With love. To not show favoritism. Before I say that my prayer at the end of the sermon, I want to recognize some people to me that are great examples in what this is all about. That's our military people. So if you've served or are serving our military, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, Army, Air Corps, could you please stand up at this time? Please stand up. On behalf of a grateful nation, we thank you for your sacrifice and for your service. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just saw some people standing in front of us here today that served our country. They were willing to even risk their lives that we can be free. They did it for all of us. We thank you for their example. And Lord, we are your army. What we stand for has eternal significance. Lord Jesus, you died for all people. Lord, help us to get beyond our prejudices, get beyond our favoritism, that we show no favoritism, that we love all people more in the way that you love us. And I pray that when we leave here today, an avalanche of love is going to hit this world. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.